We're in a series of messages together in the book of Acts, and I invite you to turn to me today to Acts 15. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through chapter 16, verse 15. We are witnesses, we are multiplied, and we are sent. You and I are being used by God to make a difference in the world. We have the neighbors we have, the friends we have, the work associates we have, the contacts we make in the community, and the other opportunities to use our home and every resource God has given us to introduce people to Jesus in a way that can profoundly change their lives. And through those efforts, God raises up people to go to the nations of the world, people who are out there right now sharing Christ with all peoples. God is sovereignly working in all of our circumstances, all of our relationships, and in all of our plans. Because God makes no mistakes, he is never surprised, and he lacks no power. God is working in your life in ways you can't even see, in events you wouldn't even choose to accomplish something greater than you could ever understand. A lot of that is what's happening here in Acts 15. We're back at the church in Antioch. Paul decides that he and Barnabas should go back and visit some of the churches to see how they're doing, churches that were established on their first missionary journey. And what happens in that church out of that simple suggestion shows the sovereignty of God in such a powerful way that it has led all the way to you and I sitting here today. Here's how Luke recorded it for us in Acts 16, verse 36. Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we, were, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. 
One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Father, you are a sovereign God. We hear it all the time. But in passages like this, we see your sovereign hand at work in ways that we so often miss. Help us to see you more clearly today so that in everything that happens, every relationship we have, every plan we make, we who are sent will know that you are using all of these things to accomplish your kingdom purpose. Thank you for your sovereignty. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. When our kids were little in elementary school, Carla and I used to spend time at the school. Carla would work in their classroom. Once a week, I'd have lunch with the kids and go out on recess. When our son Tyler was in second or third grade, I would stand there and watch them, and the kids usually would be playing basketball, and it would happen every time. The little second and third graders would be playing, and then the fifth and sixth graders would come over and take over the game, and they'd beat them every time. They got so discouraged. So one day I'm watching this, and I said to the older kids, I said, hey, how about I play with these little guys, and you get a team together, and we'll play you out here once a week. Man, they were all over it. They thought, well, we're going to whoop this old dude. And uh, so we did it. Now, I used to be a decent basketball player at one time, never great, but when you are twice as tall as everybody on the team, you can be a star. I'm telling you, you can be a star. <laughs> and what I found out was, over time, that I could actually control the game. <laughs> I could control the game. I could figure out who's going to shoot and who isn't. I could block their shots. I could get every rebound. I could decide whether the score was going to be close or whether the score was going to be a blowout. But I always worked things to make sure the little guys won, just enough to keep the other guys coming back. But I learned that I had absolutely the power to sovereignly control the game. I could control the outcomes. You know, I was thinking about that this week when I'm reading this passage in Acts 15 and 16. And I'm reminded that in a much greater way, in a much more strategic way, and in a much more perfect and powerful way, God is sovereign over our lives. Now, we say that all the time, but do we believe it? That God controls who scores and who doesn't. That God can decide whether the game is close or whether it's a blowout. That God can use our circumstances, our relationships, and even our plans to accomplish his eternal purpose. That he works in and through those things in ways that you and I could not even ask or imagine. So he works through our illnesses. He works through our relational strifes. He works through our financial setbacks. He works through our blessings. He works through everything. Because as we are going out into the world for him as witnesses, as we are being multiplied, as we are sent, God is at work at powerfully in our lives today, sovereignly through all of those things as he was in the early church. Paul decided he wanted to go back and visit the churches. And what started with a fight between two friends 
ends up becoming a church that God sovereignly establishes that swept the gospel across the West and eventually to you and me. You and I are part of this in God's sovereign work. We are sent by God who sovereignly works to accomplish his kingdom purposes. In what ways does God sovereignly work? As we're gonna see today, he works in all of our circumstances, all of our relationships, and in all of our plans. We are sent by God who sovereignly works in all of our circumstances. Luke wrote it like this in verse 36, chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. God works in all circumstances sovereignly to accomplish his purpose. Many of you have heard me talk before about my friend Ken Hutcherson, former NFL player with the Dallas Cowboys and also with the Seattle Seahawks. When he retired from football, he started a church up in Washington that was powerfully used by God. My friend Hutch came down with cancer, which eventually is what God used to leave, to take him off planet Earth. When I talked to my friend Hutch when he first got the cancer and he was beginning his treatments, we were chatting on the phone one day, and I'll never forget this. He said to me with conviction in his voice, Larry, I thank God for my cancer. I said, wow, Hutch, why would you say that? He said, I'll tell you why. First of all, before I got cancer, he said, the only thing I feared was cancer itself. And now that I have it, listen to this, I fear nothing but God. He's made me more bold for him than I have ever been before. And he said, the other thing is, I thank God for my cancer because he's put me into relationships with people I never would have had had this cancer not come. Doctors, nurses, lab assistants, other people there getting treatments beside me for their cancer. And God has allowed me to share with them more hope, more purpose, more meaning, even in the midst of what we go through. I'm able to tell them the difference the gospel makes. I thank God for my cancer. For had I not had it, none of this would have been possible. Most people in the world don't have that view. Most Christians don't have that view. Because they fail to see the sovereignty of God in the bigger purpose. God is at work in everything, even in a fight between two friends. Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back, visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Good idea, Barnabas thinks. Let's bring John Mark along with us. Paul says, eh, not sure that's such a great idea. You remember the first journey, we, things got a little tough. He took off and left us. So I understand he's your cousin and all, and you want to be good to your sister or brother or whatever relational connection there is, but I can't take a chance on a guy who's unreliable. 
Well, they started fighting about it. So sharp was their disagreement. They parted company. Barnabas took John Mark and headed west to Cyprus, his native land, his native island. Paul chose Silas and went north through Cilicia and Syria. Now, what looks like an unmitigated disaster, there's a breakdown in these two friends, these great missionaries. God is going to sovereignly use in ways they could have never imagined. Doesn't make the fight good. It's just that God uses things even like a fight, even a relational disagreement. Because you see, what was formed out of this was not one, but two strategic missionary teams. Barnabas and John Mark head off to Cyprus. Now, we don't have a lot of details in the book of Acts about what happened to them, but whatever it was must have been significant. Because as they traveled about, we see the impact later in Mark's life. He comes back a different man. In fact, later on in Paul's life, he will even send for Mark, talking about how valuable he is now to the ministry. And besides all of that, whatever impression Barnabas made upon Mark's life, God used Mark as a leader in the church and eventually to write the second gospel on the life of Christ. God had a sovereign plan in their fight. Paul and Silas head north to Syria and Cilicia. And what was significant about it was that Paul chose Silas. Silas was one of the guys, along with Judas, also called Barsabbas, that we heard about last week from Pastor Phil, who came from the church at Jerusalem, who dispatched these two leaders from their church where the apostles were to go back to Antioch to settle the dispute over whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised. No, they said. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone by his grace. Don't add a burden onto them. Silas was one of the guys who would speak that great truth with the authority of the Jerusalem church. And Paul choosing Silas was more significant than he could have known. Not only was Silas a, an authoritative representative from the church in Jerusalem, but Silas was also a Roman citizen, something Barnabas wasn't. And later on down the road, you're going to see how God used Paul's citizenship and Silas's citizenship in the Roman Empire as Roman citizens to get them out of a lot of jams and for Paul and Silas to use their citizenship to further God's kingdom and his purpose. Besides all of that, on this missionary journey with Paul, Silas would be sovereignly equipped by God for the role he was going to play. Not only a strategic partner to Paul, but he would also become instrumental in helping to record the scriptures. For later on we learn that Paul uses Silas to help record and write the book First and Second Thessalonians. And then after that, Silas hooks up with Peter, and Peter uses him as a secretary to help record the book of First Peter. When Paul chose Silas, he chose them because of a fight he had with Barnabas. Not only does God sovereignly work through those circumstances to establish Mark and that missionary team, but also Silas and their missionary team. People, they were sent out, and God used a fight to sovereignly accomplish his purpose. Let me ask you this, who are you fighting with? And a more serious note, this question. You and I are sent by God to share with our neighbors, to share with our friends, to share with our work associates, to tell the nations of the world. What circumstances is God working in right now? 
What illness? What relational strife? What financial setback? What argument? What blessing? What circumstance is God working in right now to accomplish something for his kingdom that you can't even see? If you will obey God and go out in his sovereignty, God will work in all of your circumstances like he did my friend Hutch, like he did in Paul and Silas and in Barnabas and Mark to accomplish his kingdom purposes. But not just in all of our circumstances. God is also, God is also working sovereignly in all of our relationships. When you get to chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. And Silas was there to endorse it because he brought that decision and for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Last Wednesday marked the 34th anniversary of the founding of our church, Golden Hills. And over the last 34 years, God has profoundly used this body of believers to lead thousands of people to Jesus, to send out numerous missionaries, and to impact the nations of the world. And he's still doing it. And so much of that ministry has come about and continues to come about through relationships where God is sovereignly working. Sovereignly working to accomplish his purpose. You know, when I think of my own life, when I got out of high school, I was living in an area in New England in our town called The Projects. It was a lower income neighborhood. I met there a man who happened to be a neighbor who would go on to be quite a businessman. And when I got out of college, he hired me to go to work in Hartford, Connecticut. Through that job and through those travels, I met another man who was a branch manager for the company in West Hartford. His name was Zig. Zig got transferred to Seattle. Because of my relationship with him, he asked me to come out there and help with a marketing office that was starting there. So I went. By going to Seattle, I met Sherman Smith and Ken Hutcherson, who helped lead me to Jesus. Through their influence, they also invited me to a church, Crossroads Baptist Church. When I went to that church, I met the pastor who ended up being a mentor, took an interest in me, gave me my first ministry start, and mentored me into my first preaching. He saw something in me that I had never seen. Through the influence of that church, many other people came into my life that encouraged me along the road. Through that church, there was a secretary there 
who used to serve with a pastor in Alaska. That pastor in Alaska who knew the secretary at our church was going to be speaking at a men's retreat for our church. So she said, you ought to go and hear him. So I went. The man happened to be Cully Olson. His daughter happened to be Carla Adams, who was leading, or wasn't Adams at the time, <laughs> happened to be Carla, who was leading the worship. So I go to a men's retreat because of a secretary who knew a guy from Alaska <laughs> who introduces me to my wife. When Carla and I got married, we were serving in ministry. My father-in-law, Cully, was the district secretary for Northern California. He had a best friend, Harold Carlson, who was pastor of a church in Concord, Fair Oaks. Cheryl Philpott and Wynne Philpott from Antioch went to Fair Oaks along with some others, and they wanted to start a church in Antioch. So they went to Pastor Carlson and said, hey, can you help us get a church going in Antioch? So Harold Carlson calls his friend, my father-in-law, and says, hey, do you know anybody that can come down here and help us out? And he said, you ought to call my daughter and son-in-law. They live up in Oregon. And so through a whole host of relationships, Carl and I have been given the greatest privilege of our life to be a part of a church that God wanted to start that eventually over these years would impact thousands for Christ and touch the nations. And you and I are part of that. The point is this, God was working in all of those relationships in ways I couldn't even see, but God knew. God's working in your relationships right now in ways you can't even see, even the ones that are a pain in the neck to you. God is working because he sees where he's taking you and the people he has to work to get you there. Look what happened to Paul and Barnabas. They split up. So the story picks up with Paul leaving, and we already told you about Silas. God chooses Silas. But not only that, he's going to meet a young man and later on a businesswoman that are going to be instrumentally used by God that Paul never planned on meeting. The first is Timothy. He goes back to Lystra in the region of Iconium, and he goes to the house of Lois and Eunice. Lois is Timothy's mom. Eunice is his grandma. His mom was Jewish. His dad was a Greek. It may surprise you that under Jewish law, the son was to be raised in the religion of the mother. But in Greek law, the father was to be head of the home. So here's Timothy, whose parents, whose mother and grandmother apparently were saved on Paul's first missionary journey. Paul writes later in 2 Timothy that Timothy's been raised since he was an infant in the scriptures. He was trained in the Jewish scriptures. His mom and grandmother come to Jesus, apparently lead him to Christ and disciple him. Paul comes back, adopts him like his spiritual son. And Paul wants to take this guy now, this young man who he sees all the potential in, to be his partner on the journey. But he's raised as a Jew who's become a Christian, a powerful disciple, but he hasn't been circumcised because his dad wasn't. His dad apparently has passed away, according to the language here. So what does Paul do? He circumcises Timothy so that the relationships with the Jews who are in the area would never be compromised. There would be no distraction. It wasn't a salvation issue, as we learned last week. It was a cultural issue. When we go out as Christians in our set, we're not going out to change the culture. We're going out to help people to understand how to worship God within their culture. And Timothy becomes not only Paul's right-hand man, there for him throughout his imprisonments, 
But Timothy will also be someone who takes over leadership and appoints elders in a very strategic church, the church at Ephesus. But God was working in other relationships too. He sovereignly provided a Gentile businesswoman by the name of Lydia. When you get to chapter 11, Paul says, we left from Troas, went across the river, went to Samothrace and Neapolis, and we ended up in Philippi, a leading colony of the Roman Empire. Now, there was no synagogue there, which is where he usually went. If you had 10 male heads of households in a city, you were to establish a synagogue. Apparently, there weren't 10, so there was no synagogue. When there was no synagogue, you went to a place of prayer that was established, usually an open-air venue, often near a body of water. So Silas, Timothy, and Paul head out to the river where they find Lydia. Lydia's from Thyatira, church in Asia, where they are famously known for their dyeing of the purple wool, a very precious and valuable fabric. Lydia was from there. In fact, her name means Lady from Lydda, the province where Thyatira is, and she was called Lydia. And she was a businesswoman. She's out there selling cloth. And she's got with her her household, probably her relatives and or household servants that were with her in the enterprise. And they're all down by the river. Paul shows up with his entourage, and it says he sits down and relationally, not preaching, he begins conversing with these ladies. And he begins sharing with them the gospel. She's a God-fearer. She believes in the one true God of Israel, but she's not a Jewish convert, and she doesn't know Jesus. She's like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. All she needs is for somebody to share with her the good news. Paul and his team are those people. People, there are people in your life in these relationships that are just waiting for somebody to share with them the good news. They're just waiting. They believe in God, but they don't know Jesus. That was me. And God opened her heart because God has to save people. We can't. God opened her heart. And she believed. And what does she do? She invites him into her house. If you consider me a true believer, come and stay at my house. So they all go back. Those folks are baptized. And a new church was formed. Paul never intended to go to Philippi. But God intended him to go there. And he worked all the relationships to get him right where he wanted him to be. And what was born there was a church. The first church in Europe. That would eventually spread across the continent and to the new world. And to you and me. If you're a Christian today, you can sovereignly trace the relationships that God has used through the centuries to bring the gospel to you. Because God is sovereignly working in all of our relationships to advance his kingdom. Both to bring people into our lives to encourage us and to guide us on the way. And people who need to hear the gospel so that they too can believe. But not just in our circumstances, and not just in our relationships. We are sent by God who sovereignly works on all of our plans. Acts 16, verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept 
by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia, went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We make our plans, but the Lord establishes our steps. We're not pawns, we are partners with God who works through us to accomplish his purpose. My daughter Kimmy and her husband Garrett, uh, Garrett just finished up his tour in the Air Force uh, as a captain and uh, has been looking for a civilian job. Over the summer we have been praying with them. He has opportunities but he wasn't sure. They wanted to stay in California. But when Carla and I got together with them to pray, we shared with them what they already knew. We told them, Kimmy Garrett, look, you, you already know this, but I'm going to remind you anyway. You are making plans as you should. You should write, get all the interviews, contact the people, wherever they are in the country. God knows that you desire to stay in California, but if you desire what God wants, you've got to be ready to go wherever he leads because you're making your plans, but God's going to direct your steps. And we told them, look, wherever you go, you're not going to be going there primarily for a job. You're going to be going there primarily for God. And you're not going to be going there just to earn money. You're going to be going there to serve the kingdom. Because God already knows the neighbors you're going to have. He already knows the people you're going to be working next to. He knows the realtor who's going to try to find you a house. He knows the people you're going to have... uh, in the shopping centers and the restaurants and the places you're going to connect. He already knows the church he wants to use you in because you both got gifts that he wants to use and he knows right where he needs to plug you in to use those. So you guys make all of your plans, but don't forget this. Wherever you end up, you're there by God's sovereign hand for his kingdom purpose. So did they get a California? No, they got Ohio. (laughs) And God is already helping them to see we made our plans. God is directing our steps. That's what happened to Paul and his band. He didn't want to go to Europe. He wanted to go to Asia. He didn't want to go west. He wanted to go north. He wanted to go north into Mysia. He wanted to go north into Bithynia. He wanted to go north into Pontus along that untapped region on the southern shore of the Black Sea. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go in there. The Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him go in there. God wouldn't let him go in there. You see it? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fullness of God directing Paul through his plans. I want to go north. God says, nope, that's going to be later for someone else. In fact, we don't have time today to look at this, but God did someone send someone into that region later on. In fact, when Peter writes his letter to those believers in that region, Peter is the one who's addressing them. Someone had come and led those people to Jesus, but it wasn't to be Paul. God wanted Paul in Europe. Paul wanted to be in Asia. God said, Paul, you make your plans, but we're going to direct your steps. So he takes him to Troas on the coast. And while he's there, 
he meets two men that forever changed the course of his life. One was in a vision, the Macedonian man. Come over here and help us. We concluded, Paul said, that God was calling us to preach the gospel to them. So we made plans and left immediately. The other, he probably met in a local doctor's office in Troas. I don't know if Paul had a bunion, upset stomach. I don't know what his problem was. But somewhere along the way, he ran into a doctor there by the name of Luke. Who joins his missionary team. And you'll notice in chapter 16, verse 7, the pronouns change from they to we. From them to us. Luke's not writing about what they're doing. He's writing about what he's doing. He joins their team. Chapter 16, verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to us. Macedonian, help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. Not they, we. Luke has joined their team. He sails across the Aegean Sea. He comes to he comes to Samothrace, he comes to Neapolis, and he ends up in Philippi. What's interesting, I wish I had time to develop this more, this is the first of the we sections. The we's disappear when Paul leaves Philippi. Now Luke's writing they again. Apparently, Luke stayed on in Philippi while Paul and the band kept going. Lydia's house had a budding church growing there, and Paul apparently leaves Luke in Philippi to help lead or pastor that church. Because when Paul comes back through on his way back home, he goes through Philippi again, and guess what? Chapter 20, the we's start picking up. We, 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 we. Luke has joined them again, and they're on their way back to Jerusalem. Luke, who would write the third gospel, and who would record the story so that you and I could know that when we are sent, we make our plans. But God directs our steps because he knows where he wants us and how to use us with the people he's chosen to bring the gospel of good news. He knows how to use our relationships. He knows how to use our homes. He knows how to use all of our circumstances to accomplish his plan. You may be making plans right now to do a lot of things. I'm making plans too. I don't know how much of God's going to give, but I'm making plans for our future, and I can guarantee you this. Whatever plans Carl and I make, God's in the center of them, and we're going to be surprised at what God is going to do because we're making our plans, but God is sovereignly guiding our steps. That's what he does with people who are sent. Sovereignly leads them. You see, when those little kids on the playground knew that I was there to play, their whole attitude changed. Because they knew that no matter how big the kids were, no matter how far they got behind, they went out on the court with a whole new attitude because they knew that if I was there, they were going to win. Because they saw time after time, however it was done, that I could control the game and its outcome. 
That's a pathetically poor illustration of God's sovereignty on a much grander scale. Because you see, you and I are sent too, to our neighbors, to the people we work with, the relationships we establish in stores and restaurants, relationships we have with family members, people we meet that seem so unexpected, people there's no mistake in those things. God is arranging those. You know that illness you may have, the relational strife you've been through, the financial setback, the job loss, as well as all the blessings? God's working in those circumstances. He's working in all those relationships, and he's working in all your plans. Because if you love God and are sent by him, he's going to sovereignly work to bring about his kingdom purpose in your life in ways you could have never chosen, never understood, or even had believed until you see God do it. You and I are sent by God with the gospel of his grace. And he will use ordinary things and extraordinary things like fights, relationships with people, invitations into our homes, visionary plans and everyday relationships because we are witnesses. We are multiplied and we are sent. And you can be assured of this. When you go out for God, you will never go alone. He doesn't make mistakes. He's never surprised. He has all power. And God is working to build his kingdom through us. God, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for working sovereignly in everything, whether we see it or not. And someday, God, when we're home with you, we're going to stand in awe at what you have done. May the glory be yours and the joy be ours as we go out sent into the world each day to build relationships, open our homes, work through circumstances, and make our plans. You're a sovereign God, and we are sent out in that sovereignty. May that be our encouragement, our, insurance, our assurance, and our joy. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.